You're listening to Policy, Guns and Money, the Aspie podcast, with me, Olivia Nelson. This week, the Australian government released the Critical Mineral Strategy 2023-2030, to which has four objectives, including building sovereign capability in critical minerals processing and creating resilient supply chains through secure international partnerships. New ASPE analysis by the Honourable Kim Beasley and Ben Halton details how AUKUS partners can collaborate on rare earths and critical minerals to address supply chain vulnerabilities. Kim Beasley joins Dr John Coyne to discuss the report's findings and the new government strategy. Today I'm joined by the Honourable Kim Beasley talking about his latest report written with Ben Helton, which is a strategy here at ASPE, um, AUKUS and Critical Minerals, Hedging Beijing's Pervasive, Clever and Coordinated Straightcraft. Now, welcome, Kim. Good to be with you, John. I mean, you're, you're the Northern Defence expert, so I am honoured to be in your presence. Thanks, Kim. Look, I, I've also got in front of me um, the Critical Minerals Strategy 2023-2030 here in Australia, released yeah. in the last 24 hours. It's an exciting time for critical minerals here in Australia and rare earths. Opportunity writ large everywhere, but some tough decisions to be made. Now, Kim, in your report, I I guess for the people who are not familiar with critical minerals um, and aren't familiar with the subject, why is this so important? Well, because basically uh, virtually all our military technologies and um, all our green technologies are totally dependent on access to critical minerals, be they for batteries, be they for permanent magnets. The things which really make your implements work are basically critical minerals. Take your iPhone. It has been under a gram of critical minerals in it, but that's why it works really well. <laughs> and, and this is the great paradox of the critical minerals game. There actually isn't much money in it, but what there is is facilitation of trillions of dollars worth of industrial production. And Kim, with that, so you know, we're of the age group. You know, we we, we signed up to globalise supply chains just in time. Supply chains, centralisation of production. Um, you know, three decades of absolute. Um, economic growth here in Australia. You know, we've had the rivers of gold experience with iron ore and coal. Well, what's what's the problem then? Why why isn't this being resolved? Well, I think part of it is because we don't have the scientific expertise in this country, or the production in the in the processing area here, or in most of the West. I mean, ninety four percent of uh, rare earth production and processing done in China. And uh, they want to keep it that way. So uh, you can make multi-billions of dollars worth of profit from your iron ore activity. I think it's about $120 billion worth that we export to China every year. Um, The total imports of rare earths around the West uh, two years ago was $1.5 It's It's a strange situation. When you talk about things like rare earths or critical minerals, people think, gee, these guys are talking about something that must be a cornucopia. Well, the truth is it creates a cornucopia in something else, but uh, of itself, it is not all that valuable and the Chinese do like to keep it that way. Look, they've invested for for two decades in this. 
you know, and you and I have talked about this. We talked about it this year's Darwin Dialogue. Mm. Um, and for those who are listening, you know, it, it isn't just a matter of they've got control of want to keep control of it. They're using a range of ways to do oh, exactly yes. that. Oh, yes. They, they practice statecraft to the nth degree. We all learn how damaging this could be when the Japanese over the Senkaku Islands found themselves deprived of access to Chinese critical minerals. Now, there were a lot of aspects of production in those days which meant they sort of got around it. One, they'd done a lot of stockpiling, so had other people. Two, uh, there are about 150 Chinese operations, most of them pirates. And <laughs> so you could actually smuggle the stuff out and, and, and you could overcome the problem. But the Chinese got wise to that. There were 150 then. We're talking 2010. There's now... In practical terms, two. In actual terms, six. That's it. Those are the only processes of uh, critical minerals really on the globe, except in the instance of one Australian mine. And that mine takes the processing stage through to the point where the Japanese can process from that point on. I don't think it's processing that counts even more than mining. And I hope that um, – and, and the report that that uh, Ben and myself have done does, does allude to that. It takes four processes of iron ore to turn it into its usable product. It takes ten processes of gold to turn it into its usable product. Uranium takes a hundred uh, for it to be turned into its ultimate product, but rare earths a thousand. Not all of them. Dysprosium, which is a vital heavy rare earth in the armaments industry, it's about 600. But you can see from this that processing's the ball game, and that's what they do in China. But we here, if we can do processing, and we are starting to, if we can do processing, we can take it through to a level where other industrialised countries can pick it up. And I think AUKUS is the perfect instrument to get our act together. Now, th this is the interesting part. You say AUKUS, and in, um, and uh, in it, uh, you know, you make five or your report, you and Ben make five rough recommendations or broad thematic mm. recommendations. At the centre of that is AUKUS, but it also mentions AUKUS and like-minded. Um, you know, why AUKUS? What, what is so critical about AUKUS and what is so critical, and not to overuse that word, obviously, but what is so critical about AUKUS trying to provide a global alternative to accessing um, critical minerals? Because it's us and Americans. The truth is, between us and the Americans, we can do it. And the UK, while it doesn't have any critical minerals, I think they've got some lithium, but they don't have anything much beyond that. Got a lot of money and a lot of mining expertise. Big mining companies, big energy companies are located in the UK. So there's, there's plenty of resources there and, uh, and scientific know-how. Uh, but it's us and the United States. The United States has got the demand. They have some, some materials themselves, but they're relying on us to develop their processing capacity because the biggest rare earth mine in the world is the mine near Mekathara owned by Linus. And Linus are just getting a processing process put in place. And uh, they have been asked by the Americans 
to do their processing facility for for magnets, basically, in uh, Texas, because there's very, very little expertise around the globe on this, such as there is, is in the hands of Linus. There is a French firm, uh, which is good, and those are the only two private sector operations here. But CSIRO uh, and Ansto both have expertise in processing. So when you count all, put all that together, and I, and I should say the minerals division of CSIRO is located in WA, but when you put all that together, we actually have the know-how, which has to be further developed, and, and that is just vitally important for what needs to be done. So AUKUS in many ways is Oz in this, uh, in this particular equation. Look, can I take you in that AUKUS piece? You know, let's let's talk and, um, you know, yep. we, we don't say it here in Australia, but certainly you and I have, have said this, you know, we're very much Australia first. Um, you know, you've spent time as the Australian ambassador in Washington, D.C., and you, you've, you've lived mm. and understood um, the America first. And obviously mm. we're in a different model now, so you'd mm. argue America first light. Um, we've seen the U.S. introduce its Inflation Reduction Act, um, very much about securing you know, the, the necessary materials, including critical minerals to do that energy transition. Mm. Well, there's some conflict, not conflict, probably the wrong word. There is some differences here on who wants to do what and where. I mean, where do you see that line falling? Well, mate, you've just identified why the relationship with the US is so important in this area. It's the DAA, what's that, Defence Acquisition, something or other act that the US has, plus the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. We're in them. We are, for, as for the purposes of strategic materials and work and all the rest of it, uh, we are as the United States. So um, it's a, we don't have to really negotiate too much more from what actually is already there to do the things that we need to do with the United States on all of this. So we're already in the tent and, uh, and we can take advantage of that. And the, the Americans really do treat us differently. I remember one American congressman getting off a plane, uh, had got off a plane in Sydney, and he said, you know, I've been to Europe, love Europe, Israel, of course, love Israel, been to loads of countries around the place. When I got off the plane in Sydney and drove into my hotel, I thought I was in America. He said, the, it is just, Australia just has the American ambience. Now, a lot of Australians <laughs> would be really cheesed off because I used to say to the Americans, we like Americans and we're unusual in that, but we're not like Americans. Uh, in fact, in many ways, we're the polar opposite. But, uh, but we give off a vibe that, uh, that is, the Americans are totally comfortable with. <laughs> now, Kim, you know what? We, we often talk, um, and certainly you, in defence and national security, we talk a lot. Um, you've got a history of being involved in governments in terms of economics, though, um, and changing and bringing about big reforms. Uh, in this one, okay, let, let, let's think about this, okay? Um, Japan invested in Linus to provide an alternative supply, eight years investment, nine years investment before they turned ore. Um, there's, a, there's a lesson here um, about intervention in the economy. Um, and I guess I, I want to put it to you, you know, what is the inter intervention in the economy we need to do here to ensure that the world has an alternative and resilient supply chain of these critical minerals? Total. 
we actually look. I'm a free trader. I, I was in politics in the '80s, and a lot of the things that we stood for then, in the minds of the general public, are discredited. But Australia is an enormous beneficiary from free trade, and we can't do without it. We're an export country, uh, and export countries need free trade. So that's me in one side of the right side of the brain. The left side of the brain says this ain't going to get going unless you pursue totally interventionist policies, structure totally interventionist task forces, totally interventionist on training people to get the um, every facet of the productive chain associated with rare earths out there and in place. This sort of thing can't be done overnight. You know, some people sort of have the quick, we'll get our rare earth, earth mine going, we'll do this, we'll do that around the globe. No, they're not going to succeed with anything. We can do it, the Americans can do it, and oddly the French can. But the uh, the Japanese can certainly do the processing beyond about the first three or four stages. And uh, so I, I think that where we do want to produce batteries, we would like to produce permanent magnets ourselves, and we've certainly got the minerals that can do all of the above. Uh, we are in, in Joe Biden's list of 50, we've got 41 critical minerals, and we've got all the rare earths pretty much here. And um, there's uh, 17 of them, 10 heavy, and we've got them here. And uh, so we've got, we've got all of that. But nothing is going to go unless the government drives it. I think the Australian government does know that. I mean, fortunately, Luca had those two monstrous piles of the uh, of their. Um, well, you, you'd almost describe them as tailings, but the product of mineral sands mining, which they're now going to process. But the processing machine that they put in place, courtesy of, and this is what the government got right, a 1.2 billion soft to almost non-existent loan. And uh, that will mean they can do the processing. That, When you think of the minerals industry, 1.2 billion isn't much. It's not much. And that's what a processing plant in for uh, rare earths basically will cost you. Yep. Now, Kim, I want to jump back for a second here. Um, one thing that you've identified, and you and Ben have identified really well on this, um, you and I are backwards and forwards. We're talking critical minerals. We're talking rare earths. Mm. In fact, though, there's our critical minerals that we identify. There's the mm. Americans' critical yeah. minerals. There's a whole heap of other lists of critical minerals. Um, I, I guess, would you like to sort of uh, give just a, a taster here of what, what you're suggesting in terms of that definition of critical minerals? Well, the definition of critical, critical minerals is basically the US Geological Survey. Of, uh, of what they have effectively identified, their 50. And we do need, one of the recommendations there is the three of us, the parties, need to develop a firm critical mineral list to which then policy subsequently applies. And we don't have one. We need to develop that. When, when we look at what seems to be critical minerals list, well, most countries have different ones because there's something that's important to them. So, you know, potash will turn up uh, on somebody's critical minerals list and uh, ammonium will turn up on somebody's critical minerals list. I mean, there's th these things are all there with uh, the eye of the beholder applied, but our beholder eye is 
the machinery that makes green technologies, the machinery that makes weapon systems, or in the weapon systems themselves. You know, up there in Ukraine, the poor devils in Ukraine are firing critical minerals at the Russians, and the Russians are firing critical minerals back at them. And um, it's in 3,400 American weapon systems. Now, you'd think something like that would be of immense value. But no, not really. Uh, it, partly because it's such small amounts and partly because it's so easily suppressed by competition from China. And China is desperate. It should be suppressed. So this story retailed in the paper, a brief one, a brief quote of a person in Myanmar. Is mostly China will be in the future, I think, getting their critical, their rare earths from Myanmar. And what's happening there is truly shocking. It's sort of slave labour conditions in the mines. You have to be pretty good to mine rare earths, actually. You have to be ultra safe. I mean, we have for years been mining uranium. We know what to do. Those in Myanmar have not been doing that. But this fellow says to uh, the interviewer, oh, we've been told we're not allowed to sell this to you. We're not allowed to sell this to the Americans. This is all China's. This belongs to China. Well, of course, it doesn't. But nevertheless, the Chinese have made it such. Now, Kim, you, you touched on this just then, and I think this is important. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a double banger question here. You've served in government, you've served the people of WA for a long, long time. You've been the governor of WA. And I guess ESG is really quite critical to all of this. So we're producing rare earths and critical minerals, yeah. or we're going to, um, in greater and greater quantities. It is the ESG component that also separates us apart from other competitors, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is because we are ultra-safe, ultra-effective, ultra-decent miners. That's what we are. Uh, we're very good at that. And we're also good at training people for the industry and then the associated industries of processing. You can't just invent this. You can't turn somebody into a mining engineer from a university which doesn't currently teach it in the course of a year. Can't be done. <laughs> you know, you have to build up to that. However, we have got the Kalgoorlie School of Mines. They compete with the Colorado School of Mines by a country mile as the best two schools of mines in the world. Yep. Uh, we would say we beat them on the postgraduate studies. They would say they beat us on the undergraduate studies. They'd probably say the other as well, but that'd be a fib. So, uh, so we have the two great mining schools. Then there's daylight, and then there's about three or four Australian universities. So you've got a um, you've got a situation here where we are the heartbeat of this. And we can provide the jewels and we know how to produce the jewels and there's no time to concentrate on anything else. We can't reinvent the wheel here because that dominance that is there in the market from China is a dominance that can be turned to effect any day. 
So we actually need to come out of this quickly. Now, there's lots of countries talking to us. We were participating in a video conference of 18 mining ministers that was coordinated by the Biden administration. And, and it's nice to be talking to people, and we should be. But outside AUKUS, I think, in this area of mining, but particularly processing, there's only two other countries we really need to talk to or really would find valuable talking to. One's Japan, the other's Canada. And we can talk to them. Uh, Japan desperately wants to be in the AUKUS arrangements. That's good for us. And because they actually, I should have said it in the paper, I don't, but basically if you want to model for how you should handle critical minerals, it's Japan. Look, absolutely, and the case study clearly shows it. Um, sitting there reading through, and we've got obviously we've got the critical mineral strategy out. Um, it's only 24 hours old, but I, I want to leverage in um, before we finish your experience in WA as the governor. Um, you know, the, the critical mineral strategy says, you know, we, we need to engage as part of this development. Um, you've got a lot of experience. You've travelled far and wide, probably more than most people um, in terms of um, that part of the world, northwestern Australia, um, where we're talking about rare earths and critical minerals. What do we do need to do there in terms of that engagement? We've always been obsessed with northern development and we've always not done it. Um, but uh, we're just about there. I, well, you know more than I do on this one because you've uh, made it your life's work. But um, I, I think now there's a bit of an understanding in government that we actually have to do something about it. And uh, the last defence um, defence uh, review gave a pretty fair indication of how vital the North is. But we have to move beyond, if you like, facilities uh, to into some parts of production at least. And uh, you've got a great mine in the making. It's only a pilot project now, Brown's Range. It is part owned by China, but that there's no secrets as far as China is concerned in terms of critical minerals production. They would learn absolutely nothing from us except actually what we were doing, but they know that anyway. So there's, uh, there's not much of a security risk there really uh, in the fact that there's the odd Chinese owner, but get that mine going, Brown's Range going, and what's the nearest town to it? Well, Darwin basically or um, Kununurra. So... Uh, We've got, to, we've got to build a few industries there. Look, absolutely, Kim. I, I want to congratulate you and Ben for um, writing this strategy. I mean, um, you know, timing's everything in life. We've It's come out 24 hours <laughs> after the after the national strategy, and that, that's fantastic. The messages are really, really clear. This is about opportunity. It's about competition, but it's about opportunity. It's about building our nation. It's about creating industry hubs. It's about creating jobs. Um, and it's about creating um, a viable, alternative, sovereign or resilient supply chain. So thank you very much, Kim. It's been good to be with you. And uh, long may the partnership continue. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> That's all we have time for this week on Policy, Guns and Money. The link to Aspie's report, AUKUS and Critical Minerals, can be found in your episode notes. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.